This week, we have a special joint episode of Standing Tall with Representative Johnson joining Jay Clark, who is the host of his own show, Scrappy Time. Jay is running for State House in District 8, Blunt County, Tennessee, against Representative Jerome Moon. This interview also doubles as a sneak peek because Scrappy Time is joining the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network this week with this very interview, but in video form. So you'll get to see Jay and Gloria chat in Gloria's luxurious pool. We hope you enjoy and be sure to support Jay's candidacy and Gloria's run for re-election in her own District 13 in Knoxville. One, two, three. Cat on a screen door, eye on the scene, hanging like a secret. It's a big, big world. Hello, everybody. This is State Representative Gloria Johnson with Standing Tall. We're here today. We're going to be talking to Jay Clark in my hillbilly pool, which is a blow-up pool on my deck. And we're going to be talking about health care, and we're going to talk about both of our races, both in Knox County and Blount County. Standing Tall is a podcast part of the Tennessee Holler Network. You can find them at tnholler.com on the web and in social media you can find them at the TN Holler as well. So join us and we're going to get in the pool. How you doing today, Gloria? I'm doing great. I'm doing absolutely great. Well, I appreciate you uh, having us over today to I'm glad to, you uh, came over. <laughs> ask some questions and you know, have a couple drinks and sit in your in your pool. This is quite the uh, above ground pool <laughs> it's it's excellent it's way above ground actually. it is that's kind of what i'm saying i i'm impressed i uh you know above ground pools they, they go real well you know where i'm from and uh this yeah. one's might be the best one i've ever seen <laughs> well, well we're going to talk about uh some health care issues today and uh, i appreciate gloria taking the time to meet with us um and especially the accommodations but uh gloria first of all what district are you in and uh, tell us what got you into politics. <laughs> oh, wow. So this is House District 13. It's kind of a crazy uh, gerrymandered district. Mm -hmm. Goes from, kind of define it from Central High School to South Doyle High School to West High School. And that's about the boundary of it. So it takes it a big, uh, two giant precincts in South Knoxville, then mostly um, a, a little bit West and a little bit North. So. Okay. So, uh so it's part of South Knoxville, but also ex has fingers that extend out due yeah. to, to the gerrymandering. Right, and the South Knoxville part was new after the 2012, uh, the 2010 census. Okay. It changed in 2012. It used to be more of a Democratic-leaning district, then the redistricting made it a Republican district. So okay. it's, it's interesting. But the reason I got involved in politics, a uh, couple reasons. That, I um, initially was kind of fed up after two, two terms of George Bush, and I really liked uh, Barack Obama, and so I decided I'd volunteer for him, and that's kind of what uh, got me involved. Then I became party chair, and we needed a candidate, and um, I was pretty upset with things that were happening in education. They'd taken a teacher's seat at the table away, and I wasn't happy with that, and so I decided, well, the best way to to change it is to to join it so that's why i ran okay well just so everybody knows representative johnson here is the one that probably is most responsible for getting <laughs> me into this mess 
So I guess I appreciate your mentorship. <laughs> well, I appreciate you stepping <laughs> up to run and represent the people in Blount County and not the special interest in Nashville. That's right. And uh, we, we haven't had that in Blount County in a long time. And I think a lot of folks don't realize it. And I didn't realize it until um, yeah. I really, it started going in my head after you and I had a conversation one time and I started paying more attention to what happens at the state level. And, and it was kind of like, wow, this is, right. the, you know, I was really mad at George W. as well. Uh, but once you find out what's going on at the state, <laughs> you're like, man, this is where the stuff that, that makes my blood pressure go up on a daily basis is happening. Right, and, and it's, you know, it's the gov government that's closest to you. The decisions that your county government and your state government make affect you a lot more a lot of the times than some of the federal stuff. People tend to focus at the federal level. But, and while that's happening, things that are really bad are happening at the state level because folks aren't watching it. I feel like mo more people are keeping an eye on what's happening when you've got vouchers, when you've got um, a supermajority that refuses to expand Medicaid so that all Tennesseans can have access to affordable care. And both sides of the aisle agree that we should expand Medicaid, yet we have elected officials who are losing rural hospitals in their districts and will not stand up for health care for their citizens. Yeah, so what, everybody knows you're a champion for education, um, and folks that follow you certainly know you're a champion for healthcare. Right. Um, where does your passion for that issue come from? <laughs> and uh, secondly, talk a little bit about, expand some more on um, the process that, that Obamacare Sure. Created, you know, as far as at the state level. So when we say we've left money sitting on the table, what what exactly right. do we mean yeah. by that? You know, it's a, it's unfortunate there's such a misunderstanding when it comes to Obamacare or the ACA, because so many people in Tennessee feel like the ACA did them wrong because they still can't get coverage. And what mm -hmm. they don't understand, it was the governor and the supermajority that kept them from getting that health care because they're, you know, after the lawsuit that said you couldn't mandate, then states had the ability to not expand Medicaid. And so our state is one of the few left. Now all, most, a majority of the states have done it either in their legislature or on a ballot initiative. And what a lot of Tennesseans don't understand, we don't have that ballot initiative right. in Tennessee. And so we can't do it that way unless we change laws to do it that way and that's gonna take time. I'm not against doing it, but I'm just telling people it's gonna, that's going to be the right. long way. You know, for us, we kept thinking they're going to realize, just like every other state realized, we've got to do this. There is $1.4 billion, with a B, dollars set aside for us every year to take care of Tennesseans who need that affordable care. And we're sitting here in a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic, and we're not taking those funds so that people can get care, so that we don't lose these rural hospitals. We just lost another one in the Upper Cumberland. I, 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 it just blows my mind that we are removing health care from these rural counties because we won't take those federal dollars and people are dying because of it. Yeah, so when you say federal dollars, everybody needs to understand right. that that is our tax money. 
Okay, that's money that you and I have already paid in. And so, Gloria, where, if we're not taking that $1.4 billion every year, where does it go? Well, it goes to other states that, that will take it. But it's, it is Tennessee tax dollars returning to Tennessee. Right. And we are refusing that. It makes no sense. And so you'll see where the governor says, well, so we're going to give $10 million to these rural hospitals to make sure they stay open. So we're taking money out of our budget to put into these hospitals where if we would just accept those free Medicaid expansion dollars, then we wouldn't have to put money from the budget yep. into keeping those hospitals running. And it, it just, we are spending money. It's the least, you know, these folks say that they're fiscal conservatives. You, they're absolutely, there's nothing to say that that is, uh, that they are fiscally conservative. When they're refusing money that would care for Tennesseans and it, what what's happening is it would it would cost our state so much to do that we're not doing it and in the long run it costs us so much more by having unhealthy folks who get serious illnesses don't have insurance and cannot pay their hospital bills and then that hurts our hospitals mm. and so the reality is we could take those funds and uh, and we could pass Medicaid expansion people would when you have a healthier state you have more people back to work. Studies across the country that folks that expanded Medicaid, Michigan did a study to see how their lower, um, um, lower middle and working folks, how they were doing because of expansion. They, it, they saw across the board, it lowered people's debt. It increased their ability to get loans. They were able to get loans to get cars and things like that. So they were able to improve their economic status by getting better jobs because they had more options for travel more options for training. It, it was a huge boon to Michigan's economy. And then you look at Ohio, where you've got um, the vast majority of their folks all on healthcare now because they took, their Republican governor took the expansion. And what you see in Ohio is, of those that are now on Medicaid expansion, 96% of those with opiate addiction get treatment. Huh. In Tennessee, only 13% get treatment. It was 11. We've gone up to 13%. You throw a few million bucks at it, you get 2%. If we expanded Medicaid, we could get up in the 90%. We could seriously be helping those folks up here who have serious addiction issues, and we could be seriously addressing that. And saving money on the, and the other side money. because we're not locking people up for a, a disease. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, one thing about uh, one question I get from time to time, and I, I'm interested to hear how you address it when it comes to expanding Medicaid is, how can it be, you know, quote unquote, free money to Tennessee, as we were just saying, um, you know, and when does that come home to roost and the state actually have to take up, you know, the slack and, and, and that sort of thing, so. That's, you know, like I said, it's Tennessee tax dollars coming back to Tennessee, and when, after the after the fourth year of Medicaid expansion, then we were we were responsible for five percent mm -hmm. of those dollars, and it goes up to six. The maximum it will go up to is ten percent. Uh, the most the state would ever have to pay is ten percent. Now I told you about the Michigan study. Michigan says that the 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 boon to the economy well over overrides the ten percent. They said they could easily pay that. They said they could pay more, and 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 because 
and then we'll continue that way because it just keeps going up. In Tennessee, because this is affecting our hospitals so negatively that we haven't expanded, the hospital association has said they would cover the part that the federal government doesn't cover. So that's, that means it's gonna be no cost to our state government because the hospital associations have said they would be willing to cover that 10, up to that 10%. So it, it wouldn't cost the state a penny. And anybody who tells you that they will, because some will try to tell you that, they're not telling you the truth. Right, well that's kind of what, exactly what I, what I tell people. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I know you know a lot about it. And you know, the thing that I always remind people when they say, well, we need, you know, we don't need government to be involved in, in healthcare. I mean, there's all kind of answers to that, but specifically to what we're talking about, those same people that are questioning that, if they're with a chamber of commerce or, um, you know, the state tourism folks, and there's $1.4 billion of our money returning to the state because yeah. it's an infrastructure, it's for infrastructure or tourism, they'd be all about it. Right. And that's, that's what is so frustrating because this is way more important than that. This is about people living and dying. Here's, and, right, and, and, and the problem is, you know, the, the, the Knoxville Chamber was for Medicaid expansion. I think the State Chamber of Commerce was on board for Medicaid expansion. Well, the, our contingency in Blount County at yeah. the time, our state senator because, was, was Doug Overby. Right. Uh, he was for, you know, Haslam's Insure Tennessee, yeah, which right. essentially is the same thing. And we can still do Insure Tennessee yep. if that's the direction they Bob want to Ramsey's go. Bob Ramsey's for it. You know, yeah. my opponent is against it, and y'all need to remember that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm sure, I'm pretty sure mine is as well. Um, but the reality is, uh, 66, I think the last poll was 66% of Tennesseans, and that's people on both sides of the aisle favor it. And typically, the, what my Republican friends say to me, and I use it a lot too, it's a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. You know, it just doesn't make sense. They want to take federal dollars for everything else we do, but they don't want to take those dollars. And it's just striking to me, especially, you know, our speaker has lost a hospital or a couple of hospitals in his area, maybe not within his district. I think he might have lost one, but a lot in his area. How do you ignore those people who mm -hmm. so desperately need it. And that Upper Cumberland and area needs it bad. They do, and misinform them. I mean, you're not being straight with them if, if you're acting like it's gonna cost them money and, and all of these things. We're talking for, for elected officials caring for their constituents. I mean, when you talk to, when I talk to somebody on a doorstep, which sadly we're not doing, we have, we're not the knocking yeah, doors yet. That's the reason we're sitting here on a, <laughs> on a Saturday morning right. in a pool. <laughs> Otherwise we'd be knocking doors. <laughs> yeah. But the thing about it is, um, they, when you say to somebody, no one in Tennessee should lose their home or the business, they agree with you 100%. Mm -hmm. And when you say to somebody, every child should be able to go to the doctor when they're sick. Nobody disagrees with that. Mm -hmm. But people don't understand that that's not what, what hundreds of thousands of people in Tennessee have. And in a pandemic, you need, you, know, you need that primary care doc that you can call or you can go see. And, and when you don't have that, you're not as healthy. One of my friends, who she is a hairdresser and could not get insurance before the ACA. Um, she's overweight. And so due to, quote, obesity, she had a pre-existing condition. Mm -hmm. She got the ACA when it, when it was available. 
um, got a primary care doc, went regularly, found out she had diabetes. You know, she, she didn't know that before. She couldn't go to the doctor. So she got on a program, she got on a weight loss program. It's really changed. She can call the doctor. I remember one day before this happened, she called me and just was crying. She's like, Gloria, I just tried to make a doctor's appointment and because I didn't have insurance, they treated me like crap. And I was just in tears, she was in tears. And she's like, I have cash, I'm responsible. I take money out of my paycheck every week so that when these things come up, I have it, I have cash. They will not see me. And she was just so upset. And I was just like, it's just infuriating. Yep. And to watch my sister and her husband lose their home and their business because she needed her fourth brain surgery and she got dropped by her insurance. It's just ridiculous. While both of her, both of their sons were in Afghanistan fighting, Ugh. and her, they lose a third-generation business and their home because of insur lack of insurance. Uh, that's it's infuriating. That is infuriating. Wow, that was really depressing. I think I'm going to need another beer. Stacy, can you help me out? Well, honestly, the the best thing that we can do is elect you. <laughs> hey. We like need that. more folks up at, in Nashville at the legislature who really want to serve the citizens of their district. And that's what we have a lack of. We've got folks catering to, to the AFP, Americans for Prosperity, instead of bringing home what their people want. And so we need more folks who believe in the people to be in Nashville. Tell us a little bit about what you're up against, and then I'm interested to hear what you think I'm up against. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, what all of us are going to be up against, what's happening in the state house, there's a supermajority that cares more about special interests than, than the constituents. Um, we passed uh, virtually no tax break for the middle class and working families, but massive tax breaks for uh, huge corporations, Wall Street, and stockbrokers. And that's the thing that's really frustrating. You know, people talk about tax breaks, um, but the reality is, whose tax breaks are they? These tax breaks should be coming for the middle class and, mm. and work in Tennessee families. And they're going to, the, the biggest tax break in the state house, $21 million, a single tax break went to FedEx, a corporation that got millions and billions in tax breaks from the federal government Tennessee gave them a $21 million tax break. That could have gone to working families. And so the reality is, um, when they talk about tax breaks, you better make sure who it is. And um, the thing, that, the thing about, about us, about Democrats, we're gonna make sure those tax breaks go to the people who desperately need them right now. You know, we've got a situation where there's over, over 200,000 people on unemployment now due to the pandemic. We have got um, a, an unemployment insurance system that just hasn't worked from the start. We knew these layoffs were coming. We needed to have this system up and ready to go. And people are hurting. They went 10 and 11 weeks without a check because it took them that long to hire people and get the system working. It's still not working great. Today, I am still helping people try to get their unemployment insurance. And I'm helping people from other districts because they'll call me and say, my rep hasn't gotten back to me, will you help me? I've called you about that uh, and, and at least a couple times. Exactly, and so, you know, we need people there who will be there when the constituents need them, answer that phone and help them get the services that they deserve and have paid for. And so 
we're up against a well-moneyed machine. There are dark money groups all over the place that are going to be fighting us when it comes to um, when it comes to being against vouchers and mm -hmm. charter schools. You're going to have Tennessee Federation for Children. You're going to have Tennesseans for Student Success, and they get new names every year of these groups that are going to be sending nasty, ugly mail. They've already been doing it in Knox County to several different house races. I'm expecting it in mine. Uh, they do it every time. They spend millions. They say they're for students and for children, and they spend millions on really nasty, ugly ads against people who support public ed. And one of the ugliest I saw was up in the 16th District, which is Bill Dunn's old district. And uh, a, a friend, Patty Bounds, who's a school teacher, she was running up in House District 16. Now, Patty and I disagree on most issues. We really do. But she is a sweet woman who just wants to make things right for kids. And she, she was a kindergarten teacher for years and years, really gave to her community as an educator, and they attacked her with those nasty ads. They don't care, Republican or Democrat. If you're for public school, they're against you. And people need to understand that these ads are trash, they're full of lies, and, and we've got to ignore those things and listen to the candidate, hear what they have to say. So what we have to do is make sure we're getting our message of fully supporting public ed, fully supporting Medicaid expansion or Insure Tennessee, uh, fully supporting raising the wage. People need to know those are things that people in our district care about and they need to hear that from us that we're gonna fight for them for those things. Well, one thing um, regarding my opponent, all those um, you know, anti-public school groups that you talked about, you know, he, he's supported by and endorsed right. and uh, they, they spent some money sending out uh, uh, mailers on his behalf. Um, and I thought that was interesting because it's like, wow, maybe they are really worried that we got a chance, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's um, good when they're sending that no, mail No, I mean, that's kind of the thing. I, yeah. It's like, you know, I, I, the more I see that happen, the better. But it's also important that we let people know that just because it says Tennesseans and student success in it, it doesn't mean anything. Not one penny. Well, there's a small, a tiny amount. If you look at the percentage of their money that goes to mail um, against public school uh, supporters compared to what they spend maybe in a school building or something, it's a pittance mm. compared to what they spend on campaigns for public school supporters. Yeah. Can you kind of let us know, you know, there were a lot of things that happened in the state house this year uh, that weren't good. And they were they were yeah. rammed through at the last minute. Um, I know you're about to have to go back to Nashville in the middle of a pandemic with our right. numbers continuing to go up for a special session. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what, how the end of the session went, and how bad it was for that matter? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was it was so frustrating that once we ended that first part and went in recess, we knew that we were breaking for the pandemic. And the idea was we were going to get systems in place for Tennessee so that we could contain this virus, get contact tracing set up and ready to go, get good testing systems and get rapid testing. So when you reopen, you can reopen safely where people can get quick tests. And, you know, it, it makes a difference as far as how you operate when you're able to get those fast tests. Right. 
And so that was the idea. We're going to shut down. We're going to get these systems in place and then we'll be able to reopen. Well, here's the problem. During that time, they got nothing set up. There was, there was something like 20 contact tracers at this point when we opened up and, and I can't remember the number, but we would need thousands in Tennessee to actually do actual contact tracing. So none of this was set up. We didn't open based on data. We opened based on date. We did a rushed opening. They call it phased in. It was not. They went to, to really slow to, the, to just everything being open. And it was a really bad idea. And, and here's what we said. You guys need to slow this open. We need to pay attention to the data and the cases. And they didn't do it. And here we are with um, one of the highest positive rates in the country. Um, we're in the danger zone as far as increasing cases. And we're talking about opening schools. And we are going back to special session on Monday. And are we going to be talking about how we can make sure our schools are safe? Are we going to talk about, uh, talking about what we can do for businesses so that they're opening safely? How we can keep our citizens safe? No. We're going to talk about um, they're leveling the playing field for bad actors. So there are businesses out there that are doing a great job of getting all the supplies they need to open safely, getting the plexiglass and getting the cleaners and the PPE that they need. And then there are some folks that are just saying, ah, oh, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, we don't care, and not being um, good citizens. And we're going to make, we're going to give them liability excuse. We're basically removing the people's right to justice in favor of a business being able to, um, to not be safe with their customers and with their employees. And to me, that's just wrong. You don't remove the justice system from people who so desperately need it. And we can all take precautions so that people are safe and we need to open in a safe way instead of releasing the liability of folks who don't do that. It's just a huge problem. The other thing that we're doing coming back in special session in a pandemic is increasing the fines um, for vandalism uh, during, from protesters and things like that. They're using sidewalk chalk, which washes away with the first rain. But, you know, they want to make these kinds of things a felony. And um, it's, it's just ridiculous. We have had protesters the last 40 plus days at the Capitol. They have been peaceful. They've been arrested multiple times, but they have been peaceful the entire time. And they have spent a million dollars guarding these protesters who have been completely peaceful. They just want a conversation with the governor. They want to see the Nathan Bedford Forest bust removed. And they want to see um, some policy changes in some of our uh, policing policies. And um, I think that all the governor has to do is walk outside and have a conversation with these folks. I mean, they're super nice. They're mostly young. Um, I've gone out multiple times to talk with them. Yes, one of them is my friend, but a couple of them, I didn't know a lot of those folks. And mm -hmm. I walked out there and they, you know, they were suspect of me. But as soon as I started talking to them, it was great. They need to know you're there to listen. And you can stand your ground. You can, you know, be tough and not go out there and talk. But these are the people you represent. Why would you just not do, be the bigger person? and walk out there and have a conversation. It just, it boggles my mind you, why you wouldn't walk out and talk to your constituents. 
Well, when there's a when there's a supermajority up there like there is now, I really feel like the other side feels like they don't have to do that, and yeah. they're, they're not yeah. they're not doing that in Blunt County, and they haven't in a long time, at least not in my district. And uh, as I say many times, we're going to change that. <laughs> so this special session that's coming up, um, y'all, we've talked about a couple things that are on the table, but there's one we haven't to deal with telemedicine. So tell us about that. Yeah, the third bill is a telehealth bill, so it will continue the telehealth that so many people already have. A good friend of mine, her three-year-old, gets his speech therapy on this on using telemedicine. And so it's critical to folks out there during the coronavirus who maybe can't get those services. And, and so that kind of was the carrot, I think, to bring it back to act like it was about the pandemic. But those other bills are about releasing uh, big business out of liability and about, you know, penalizing protesters, making misdemeanors, felony, and that type of thing, that has nothing to do with the pandemic. It's really, um, it, it goes to show you how the last night of session went this year when we stayed there till 2 a.m. because they could, the Senate and the House couldn't agree on the budget. And so the Senate dangled a carrot. They used women, they bartered women's health care in order to get the House to agree to their budget. They put women's uh, health on the chalking block, block uh, women's reproductive justice, and really women's equality. Because if you take away a woman's choice and a, a woman's ability to make the decisions she wants to make in her own doctor's office, what you've done is said women aren't equal. And so at late in the evening, well past midnight, that's how they got that budget passed, was using that. And really, the, what made it even worse was there was a bill earlier in session from Jeremy Faison, and it was about um, getting doctors, requiring doctors to tell patients who were going to use um, the abortion pill. It was telling patients that after they took the first dose, it's a two-dose uh -huh. pill, and after they f took the first dose, it requires physicians to tell women there's a reversal for that first pill. They don't have to take the second pill. Yeah. And there's some things that they can take to reverse that. No, not medically sound at all. They did chemical trials, medical trials on those medicines and that procedure, that quote reversal procedure. They had to stop the trial because it was causing women to hemorrhage and go to the ER. It actually says this was damaging to women and so they had to stop the trial, yet they are requiring doctors to tell patients they can do that at harm to women. They had no, and I brought that up on the House floor, that the, the study that they tried to do on this to see if it worked, they had to stop because women were hemorrhaging. And they passed that legislation anyway. They don't care if women are hurt. Well, to get that legislation passed. When you say women are hurt, I want to make it clear. I, no one should tell my wife or any of my female friends what to do with their body. Right. So right. I want to make that clear. At the same time, knowing that that bill, when it hit the floor, because I was watching live, and it's like, where did this come from? Right, You know. right. And uh, knowing when that hit the floor that it was going to pass, and... I believe you brought up an amendment uh, trying to make rape and incest uh, well, 
an exclusion, right? And, and that's one of the clinchers because the reality is for the majority of Tennesseans, you know, uh, they don't believe that we should allow a rapist to determine the mother of his child. You know, that there should, uh, even people who are against abortion, I, have, I respect those views and completely understand them, um, but even many of those people believe that in the case of rape and incest, there should be an exclusion. And the vast majority of Tennesseans believe there should be that, that's been polled, and, and the vast majority of Tennesseans believe there should be an exclusion for rape and incest, and there is no exclusion. So this bill forces a woman or a girl, a child, to carry their rapist. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you, you know, show up pregnant, 12, 13-year-old, right. and you, um, and, and unfortunately, I don't know, a couple people yeah, that it, it had happens. a sexual assault at that age. And if they showed up pregnant, my opponent and our supermajority in the state legislature, and they don't have D's by their name, just said that state law requires that baby to be carried to term. Right. And to me, that is disgusting. It, it, it truly is. And the reality is, you know, what we can do and we all agree, both Republicans and the Democrats agree on one thing, and that's there should be no unwanted children. But what we disagree in, on is how we get there. And what, what um, research and data and all the numbers in healthcare show us is you do that by giving women access to healthcare, access to birth control, and access to age-appropriate sex education. You do those things now, and you can really make a difference in what happens. They're not willing to do any of those three things, but they want to just cut it off. And we can't do that because women have to make that choice. We don't have to agree with the choice that women make, but we have to allow them the choice that works for them. The legislature should not be sitting in your doctor's office deciding what you and your doctor and your family and your God are there, that's how you make that decision, not with a legislator, probably a male legislator, making that decision for you. No, 100% agreed, because I know, uh, you know, I've, I've mentioned numerous times, I have a, a pre-existing condition, um, and without having access to that care, how am I supposed to function? Right. We just ignore women's care. Right. It's like treated as a completely separate thing in our healthcare system and it and it and it doesn't need to be. Right. You know, what's crazy is I can I can probably get my insurance to cover pills to help with E D. Right, right. But the state legislature wants to raise all kind of cane about covering your um, you know, birth control pills or, exactly. or or other things that are important regarding exactly. women's reproductive health and that's right. just uh, wrong. And and so many women use you know, use uh, pills for medical reasons, not just for birth control, you know, so it's just, it's ludicrous. You know, you trust women to raise your kids, you trust women to, you know, why are we not trusting women to do what works for them and let them make their decision with their doctor and their family? And um, it just, it doesn't make sense to me, especially these small government guys, um, is it's just, we've seen that that's a joke, it's just not true. And if you don't believe a woman can make her own decisions, then you don't believe women are equal. And that's a fact. I mean, that's just a fact. That's, 
that's what logic tells us that you know if if you believe women are equal then they can make those decisions with their doctor that they need to make and 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 the thing is if we if every woman had health care i have a pre-existing condition i have a pretty serious heart condition i've had open heart surgery um if i were to become pregnant I couldn't carry a baby to term. I had health care. I was able to make sure, you know, to have surgery so that I wouldn't have to make that decision. But a woman without health care doesn't have that ability. And so we are preventing people from making sure it doesn't happen. And we're putting them in precarious positions because we don't provide the health care, provide the sex education, and provide the birth control so that we don't need to do that. But there's still gonna be reasons and we need to have, if you outlaw abortion, it's not, there's not gonna be no abortions. There just won't be access to safe ones. It's a very good point and a, and a sad point and one that I think our modern generation is, has uh, forgotten or didn't know existed right. at one time because you know, I'm 46 so I've, I've never been alive when Roe v. Wade, you know, yeah. wasn't in effect mm -hmm. but uh, I think some some of that generation may not uh, realize that yeah. when wrapping this up uh, okay. last thing when um, I'm gonna try my best to get up there and help you and I That's hope you what I, and we I, need and I'm and I'm 100% for you and your race and uh, I I really appreciate um, every once in a while I'll cuss you a little bit because I know <laughs> you know I never ever thought about running for state house until Gloria one day said you should consider it and uh it, that always stuck with me and um i appreciate you putting that pressure on me because i think i think it's important for us to realize how important our local politics are right. and you know if we're not happy with what we see we can't really sit on the yeah. bench and wait for somebody else to make that shot and um <laughs> and you helped me get off the bench so i really appreciate that it means a lot to me absolutely i'm probably uh paying back another Maribel person because quite frankly I, I cussed my friend Jennifer Wallace a little bit and <laughs> she's the one who got me in there and uh, she went to Maribel College she played basketball at Maribel College so um, but yeah so I, sometimes you go wow man why and, and then but then you, you know why but there are those oh, days yeah. when the campaign gets crazy and all of that but we've all got somebody who said hey go do this that's and, when I crack a beer or two yeah. and jump on the tractor and go bush hog or something right right well right. Um, so when we get up there together uh, and ending the show here, when we get up there together, what is the top three things we need to do? Well, I think very clearly, um, it will probably still be in the middle of this pandemic. We've got to pass Medicaid expansion, whether it's Insure Tennessee, whether it's Medicaid expansion, we've just, we've just got to do it. And then we've also got to make sure that we are adequately funding our public education. Because what the Republicans will tell you is that we're fully funding public education. That's based on a 20-year-old BEP formula that's out of date. And so the reality is we have got to, um, to adequately fund. Because if you take all the states surrounding Tennessee, the seven or eight states that surround Tennessee, average together what they spend per pupil, we're spending $1.5 billion less. Huh. So we are not adequately funding our schools. And we need to do that and not drain that money out to charter schools and vouchers. Another thing I think we need to do is I think that we have got to um, we have got to raise the wage. You know, we are the one of the lowest paid states, the pay with more the state with more percentage of minimum wage workers and low wage workers 
in the country. And that shouldn't be the case. We don't want to tempt people here with low-wage workers. We want to tempt people here with a great place to live and uh, a great way to earn money and support your family. Well, folks, there you have it. That's a wrap. I think we figure out what we need to do when we get to Nashville in January. I just need you to help me get there, and I need everybody here in Knoxville to help Gloria stay there and do the good that we need to do for Tennesseans. 